and we are back. And hopefully some of you guys are too. I'm Paolo. I'm Kozan. And welcome back to Ushers of Horror. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, indeed. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good. We're watching a lot of sequels. That's <laughs> <laughs> very true. And what better time to do it during a... Was it the middle of lockdown? We're like the halfway point today, actually. is two weeks since we've been in lockdown again. I don't know about you. If it weren't for this, I probably wouldn't have watched as many films or been quite as chirpy two weeks in. But... Yeah, that's true. Uh, so just a few things out of the way. We have our Twitter up and running. Yep, that's the Ushers of Horror. And Instagram is also popping. Yep, and that's on Instagram. It's Ushers underscore of underscore horror. Oh, the underscores. It's important. Yeah. From under the grave. Um, so, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, I'm, you know, we're going to be, like, posting things on there about upcoming episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Other posters. Did you want to run through that? Uh, social yeah. media? Well, just give us a follow and we will be posting the episodes we talk about on there will be for Instagram. We'll be posting really cool images and Twitter will be posting updates, uh, previews of the ep- upcoming episode so yeah it's gonna be fun you should definitely check it out create our own little uh horror community what is it you know horror collective we're in a horror band mm. we can write academically <laughs> about <laughs> oh my god we could put a link to that as well actually i feel that that's like yeah guys go on youtube and type in uh academic punk and just prepare to laugh your ass off I actually studied punk <laughs> academically, and I just want to say that <laughs> I'm in a punk so collective. Uh, to those in the know, I think you already know what we're, we're talking about. In case you didn't know, I'm the lead singer of a Riot Girl punk band. I'm involved in my local music scene. I'm a part of a punk collective, and I've academically studied punk. Be that a you lesson know, to I you as well. studied horror academically, and I'm in a horror collective. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Girls our own go. version but just for horror what's that sorry we should try and do our own version of that video but just for, for horror instead we of punk we could we could do stuff like that on the on the Instagram page just do like stupid like meme things um, mm, maybe we start a TikTok as well a TikTok a horror TikTok <laughs> actually another YouTube shout out I was watching I believe it's the YouTube channel is it Slapped Ham and Shrouded Slapped Ham and Shrouded Hand these were all like uh, horror ghost video YouTube channels. And they had uh, the top five um, creepiest uh, TikTok videos. Uh, and it's all people dancing and in the background, you know, there's a, there's a ghost or, you know, there's a bit of dust that's moved or... But, I mean, I was thought that, you know, the, the, the online stuff, you know, people could, you know, even if they um, don't want to message just about the episode, you know, literally just write in saying how you guys got into horror, what horror films you love, what ones you hate. They're always more fun. Um, episode ideas, even or like films, you know, you guys want to hear as well. Like it's a you want us to review something, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Create uh, a horror collective. Interact with us. Interact with us, please, <laughs> please. You're gagging for it. Uh, did you want to make any comments on the last episode? That we seem to have really be obsessed with necrophilia in that last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Big time, big time. We were like, ooh, and there's some necrophilia in this, which I'm, I'm going to go on record and say I, I don't support, but 
you know, when you're watching a horror film and you know it kind of pushes oh, those God. buttons, you know, you're you know you're into something different. So I don't apologize. Fuck you, <laughs> basically. Um, what about you? Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think about the necrophilia. I was thinking about the scoring system. I just think, I think it's so hilarious. Um, what guys? Maybe do we do we get rid of the scoring system? Do we reform the scoring system? I mean, you gave one of your films a seven. Like <laughs> our first episode, we're saying our most undervalued, undervalued horror films, and you're just, you just come out with a seven. Yeah, I feel seven is like you know five. I seven is like above good. You know, seven is like a solid movie. You know, like mm. eight is great. Yeah, nine is fantastic, and ten is perfect. You know, um, I think if films fall along the seven to ten mark, it's it's a it's a good shout. Um, but I always feel eight is too given. You know, what I mean, when I think of like movies I've rated on IMDb as eight, there's like three or four. That's crazy. See, I'm different. If I actually just love a movie, I'm gonna go on IMDb and give it a ten. <laughs> I'm gonna try bump up the rating of my, one of my favorite films. And, this and if just... I don't like it, it's it's going down to the fours, the threes, the twos. I'm trying to, I'm I'm trying to screw the rating system. That's what I'm trying to do. Are you like gonna be one of the what Trump calls uh, one of the people posted in votes on movies? System is totally rigged and broken. This system is rigged. We're competing in a rigged election. I don't wear a toupee. To be fair, there is, there is a problem with that, of like hating a film and just giving it a one star. But sometimes it's justified and sometimes it's not. We'll do an episode on this, uh, Black Christmas Free. That is one we've got the most unfortunate ratings. The, 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 the new Blumhouse version. So I called it Black Christmas Free, but it's just the second remake of Black Christmas, which has a very unfortunate IMDb score. Because I don't, I don't think it's that bad, but I think it's, it's great. It's so good. It's incel boys that are just really offended by the politics of this movie. I would assume that based on the data that I have seen. What data have you seen that has brought you to this conclusion? Because I'm now curious where I can get this data from. Um, I couldn't reference it offhand, but I believe there was a study that. that um, I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. And the very fact that they've got the, the, the main like head bad guy in the Black Christmas remake, slight spoiler, is, is based on uh, Jordan Peterson. And I could just imagine all, like you were saying, the incel guys, all these sort of... Um... But isn't it also the, ma the main guy from, one of the main guys from Saw? Well, he's in the first Saw and turns out he's... Oh, is it him? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it oh, is. Oh, I didn't know. I, did, I didn't actually recognise anyone in that in that film. I think he's the only guy I recognised. Fair, 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 fair. How uh, the mighty fool. <laughs> but to be fair, it's a great <laughs> movie. Um, but imagine getting the screen, but like, yeah, you're basically playing Jordan Peterson. Without such a regard, there can be no motivation to reduce suffering and therefore no respite. Instead, the production of individual suffering can and has and will be again rationalized and justified for its supposed benefits for the future and the group. That's probably why people were so offended. That's probably like, I can't believe, I can't even do an impression of it, but you know, you could just imagine him sitting on his laptop crying about, you know, politically in, in a politically incorrect professor bullied on Blumhouse horror film. Like, even actually, we're going up slightly off topic, but did you see Ben Shapiro's comment? Forget about the disrespect. Facts don't care about your feelings. So you don't know what you're talking about. 
You're not educated on genetics. Would you like to discuss the genetics or well, not? Well, no, what no. Are your genetics. So I'd stay away from the genetics and back to the brain scans. You cut that out now, or you'll go home in an ambulance. On Twitter a few days ago, where about being masculine, about Harry Styles, yeah, about being masculine. That it was a direct attack on um, civilization. And then people were like, exactly, that's uh, "This man is the spokesperson for being masculine." And he's like, <laughs> barely five foot. And he thinks he's masculine. There's pictures with him in like a cape and a sword. Like he's getting onto Harry Styles for wearing a skirt in a photo shoot. It's so lame. It's so lame. It's so embarrassing. And who else like was it? Was it Candice Owens? Candice Owens originally tweeted something about Harry Styles and then he quote tweeted it. But the, a, a, a literal child could, would give Ben Shapiro a good fight. He's no <laughs> sort of masculinity. <laughs> yeah, we he, are so off topic. It's crazy. Uh, I wanted something we'll be doing in this episode of He's going off topic quite a lot. <laughs> Probably that. But also, where to watch the films we speak about. Uh, yes, I yes. That for last week's episode, but I'll do it now. So, uh, Angst is on Shudder. If you have a Shudder account, you can watch Angst. If you don't, you should get one because it's £5 a month and they have a low, they have great, really great stuff on there. Uh, Cemetery Man is available on Amazon Prime Video. If you don't have it, it's kind of worth it, but also I get it. Oh, I don't want to pay Jeff Bezos. I get that. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> Who Can Kill a Child is on iTunes. Oh, from, is it? You can buy the film for $4.99. That's the cheapest I could find it, because like the DVDs are like, the DVD of that is like £20 on um, eBay. Mm. Okay, I didn't know that. Cool. Uh, when it comes to Messiah of Evil, it used to be on Amazon Prime Video, but it's no longer available in the UK. It's on YouTube, isn't it? Is it on YouTube? Is it on YouTube? Is it on YouTube? I feel I... it might be on YouTube, but the copy's quite bad. Mm, well, if you have, if you have, uh, what, what are those? One of those VPNs, check, go on Amazon Video Prime and uh, hit USA. Should work. Should work. Or you can buy all these on DVD. Oh yeah, buy the DVD. You won't. You won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Uh, anything else about last episode? Uh, a friend of the show actually made a great compar uh, a comment about who can kill a child. Ah uh, yes, yes, yes. From Mia Farrow's character in uh, Rosemary's Baby, which is yes, very good comparison. Very good comparison. Same almost. Um, with Prunella Ransom, who's the main woman in uh, who can, oh, yeah, who looks and, a lot like Sissy Spacek too. Yes, another yeah, but the fact they're both pregnant. Uh, Mia Farrow almost sounds British, even though she isn't. The characters, very, I guess that he saw that film, and he was like, "I need someone just like Mia Farrow." <laughs> Get me a Mia Farrow lookalike. Yes, yes, and this is what it's all about. This, this, this uh, podcast is to. You know, give people like a forum to discuss things like this and discuss topics and what these sort of films evoke. You know, even a, 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 a political analysis, a, a cultural reading of it. You know, it, this is supposed to be a, a horror collective. Today's episode. So, what are some great sequels? That what are the what are the classic sequels? The Nightmare on Elm Street. So, uh, well, real quick, if you hadn't noticed, we're doing because it's our second episode, a sequels episode. That was your idea. Again, yeah, great can't. idea. Can't take credit for it. Uh, some, some great... So, like we said, this aim of this show is to talk about uh, films that other people wouldn't have seen uh, that don't get enough 
talk about whatever. Uh, we're trying to highlight the films that aren't in the spotlight. Um, but Because we're not basic. We're not basic, but we will briefly shout out some great horror sequels. Um, we could have spoke about the entire Halloween series. Or we honestly could have, so we didn't. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, Evil, Evil Dead 2. Yes, Conjuring 2, things like this. Uh... Conjuring 2. See, almost, almost, almost picked this film. Not because it's a particularly great film or one that needs analysis. It doesn't but for the pure fact that we are from Enfield and this, this house is, is not far from us. No, um, no. You can walk uh, past it. You know, it's, it, you can, you know, it's, it honestly it's almost like should. a, a We honestly should go for an autumn walk with a joint and just walk past the house. Good That's shout. Been, Good um, shout. Yes. I watched this film in the Enfield Cineworld and it was hilarious. It was so fun. It, you, these films, you need that cinema atmosphere, but the fact that it was a hometown atmosphere and you're watching a Hollywood film based in your town. I mean, the, the school, the, the filming in the school was actually my school. That was my secondary school that they filmed in. Um, so it was really cool to see that as well. Um, yeah, it was really, really cool, that film. J just, yeah, just for the pure hometown vibes. There's a, a decent documentary about the story it's meant to be based on uh, on Channel 4. It was a Channel 4 documentary, but you can find it on YouTube, uh, The Enfield Haunting. Yes. Interesting. Um, it's, it's an interesting... It's interesting. I don't know if I buy it. I, I don't think I buy it, but it is still an interesting story. Well, I think that the two um, parapsychologists or paranormal investigators, the couple, I think that eventually, I think when the wife died, it came out that there was a lot of like smoke and mirrors and tricksterdom going on by those guys. Um, but uh, that being said, I mean, they, they did prey on... Slander. Slander? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. I guess when we die, we'll find out. You know what I mean? But joke's on them because they can't sue me after I'm dead. So, ha. Huh. <clears throat> well, they might haunt me tonight. We'll see. Tune in next time to find out. And I've got, I've got a list of a few sequels that didn't quite make the list. Um, some of you might groan, some of you might go, ooh. Um, but uh, from Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas Blood Money. Um, great I horror seen, action. I know it had a sequel. That's crazy. It's got two sequels, and one of them's a prequel. Set in Is the George Clooney in any of them? No. It's, um, second one's got, uh, what's his name? Not that interested then, am I? The, no, but the second one's got... <laughs> <laughs> second one has... The bad guy from Terminator 2 in it. What's his name? Oh, that guy. That guy. He's in it. He ain't um, that cute. Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick's in it. Yeah. And it's still produced by Tarantino and Rodriguez, but the cinematography is fantastic. It's very Evil Dead style cinematography. Low budget, really inventive. Um, and it's got, uh, the, it's got Tuco from Breaking Bad in it as well. Mm. Uh, so it's got it's it's fun to see sort of faces and people who were behind the scenes or in front of the camera who've gone on to do better things or, or other things. Other things. Um, Halloween three, season of the witch, and the new David Gordon Green Halloween, which I know is a, a contentious topic with us too. Uh, again, Phantasm three, Lords of Darkness, 
Prince of Darkness, the John Carpenter movie, and how is that? A si- how is Prince of Darkness a sequel? What's the sequel? Because it's it's like a, a spiritual sequel. It's part of the trilogy, the Apocalypse trilogy, where it's all set in the same universe, but it's different. Wow! Characters. On an wow, <laughs> great movie. Fan- Donald Pleasance is in it. It's a John Carpenter film. It's great. And the last one might have been a too big of a... If you picked that film, we would have got a lot of lot of complaints. Like, how is this a sequel? <laughs> I'll fight these haters off. I want to fight these trolls off. <laughs> and the last film is Dracula, Prince of Darkness. But I thought that might have been too well known. Which, is that the second? That's the second one without Peter Cushion. Peter Cushion's not in the second one? No, it's, it's the one where... Spoilers, I mean, the film was made in 1966... It's a bit where he drowns at the end, where they shoot the ice, and he's like on a bit of ice, and he falls into the water at the end and drowns. Mm, that was a good film, yeah. It was a very good film. But I thought, it, you know, Dracula was pretty well known. Yeah, we will do. We, will, we should do a Dracula episode. Big time. Uh, we could even do the Hammer episodes. We are going to do a Hammer episode. We are going to do a Hammer episode. Tune uh, in. So, what were your movies that didn't quite make the cut? Oh well, if you were li- if you listened, I already said them. But oh, sorry. Oh, yes, yes, you did. Yeah. I don't know. The Conjuring two, Texas Chainsaw two, Halloween two, um, Evil Dead two. Even though I disagree with people that say it's better than the original, it's not better than the original. Rated X. Do you know why I came to you, Amy? Because you called to me. And I came. So that your childhood could be bright and full of friendliness. But you must promise never to tell anyone about me. Not even Daddy or Mommy? No. This must be a friendship that only we shall have. Why, Daddy, you know my friend, too. You couldn't know this woman. She died before you were born. Oliver, please, let's not go on with this. The child's trembling. If that child comes here again, I'll kill her. Yes, I'll kill her. My little girl is in her room, waiting to kill you. We mustn't let her find you. So that was the trailer to The Curse of the Cat People. a sequel to Cat People of two years before The Curse of the Cat People was made in 1944, um, directed by Robert Wise, who would later go on to direct The Sound of Music and West Side Story, and produced by Val Luton, who produced the original film, and 
it stars a lot of the same cast as the original Simone Simon returns, Kent Smith, Jane Randolph. And the plot follows uh, Amy, uh, a young girl who is the daughter of Ket, the main, the leading actor in the first film, who befriends the ghost of her deceased father's wife, Irina, who was a Serbian fashion designer who descended from a race of people who could transform into cats. Quick shout out to where to watch this. You can watch this on BBC iPlayer. Uh, yeah, so there you go. As long as you have a TV license, you can watch this film. The reason I picked this film uh, and the reason the, what I wanted to pick in these, the sequel episode was sequels that were very different to the first film uh, that gave us something completely new. And this film does this. Uh, a lot of horror fans might be disappointed as they were at the time when this was released because it, it's barely a horror. It's barely a horror. It, it's, it's, it's a horror. It's a sequel to a horror film. The first film also, you guys have to watch. If you haven't seen Cat People, you have to watch. Uh, it's one of the best early horror films out there. Um, really, really good film. There's, there's one scene that I'm sure is studied in film school over and over again where she's walking down the tunnel and there's a bus following oh, no, no, and she's in high heels and you hear the high heels and you think there's someone chasing her and then a bus turns up it's so good i'm sure it's been parodied a million times it's like the first jump scare isn't it yeah it's so so good watch that film but yeah as i was saying uh the film which marks wise's directorial debut uh who before this film uh, was just an editor. He, but, he, but he did, edit, to his credit, he edited uh, Citizen Kane. So although this film has many of the same characters, it's very different. It's barely related to its predecessor uh, stylistically and the focus is completely different. Am I going to butcher this name? Gunther von Fritsch had originally signed on to direct. However, he was later replaced after he fell ill and production fell slightly behind schedule. RKO Studios, which at the time was one of Hollywood's big six studios during like the golden age of cinema. They assigned Robert Wise to take over. This from a TCM review, but the RKO... TCM. <laughs> Turner Classic Movies is great. Great, great channel, great channel. Great channel. Uh, the RKO publicist must have been using mind-altering drugs when they masterminded the ad campaign behind the curse of the cat people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they describe it as a poetic fantasy about a lonely girl who invents an imaginary playmate. So yeah, although this film was conceived as a sequel to Cat People, uh, which was a huge box office hit for the studio in 1942, Posters and promotional materials for the film carried the taglines like the beast woman haunts the night anew or the black menace creeps again, but nothing could have been more off the mark. Although it had the same cast, same characters from the first film, a lot of them at least, uh, storyline had a completely different focus on the child and most of the horror elements went out the window. The... Although there were still fancy elements in it uh, related to cats, almost no almost nothing. Uh, picking up where the last film finished, we now find uh, Kent Smith, who's playing a character called Oliver Reed. Uh, if you 
continue to watch the show, you'll hear more about the real Oliver. The real Oliver. Please be quiet for a minute. Yes, sir. Good. I, I am not really used to this. Will you please be quiet for a minute while I talk to this gentleman? Sure. I'm on the show yes, to talk, okay. not just to hear you, madam. Uh, he has remarried and has a six-year-old daughter, Amy, played by Anne Carter, uh, by his ex-wife, Irina. And Oliver, however, is disturbed by his daughter's intense fantasy life and feels that she is somehow negatively influenced by Irina. And unfortunately, his attempts to break through to Amy are complicated by his own failings as a father and by his daughter's friendship with an elderly neighbour. Um, most of the horror probably comes from that, the, the really big, scary house um, that this elderly neighbour lives in. And uh, she, yeah, that, that's where you think all the horror happens. But it's a bit of a red herring. And uh, for producer Val Luton, The Curse of the Cat People was a very personal project. It incorporated autobiographical details from his own childhood into the plot, like the sequence with the lost party invitations, the numeral lessons, and his own fondness for ghost stories like The Headless Horseman. The film itself is set in Tarrytown, uh, a village in New York, which is right next to the real Sleepy Hollow, which used to be known as North Tarrytown which is not far from Luton's own upbringing. Um, but apparently this didn't help make the film any easier for to produce. Uh, RKO executives had expected to see a supernatural thriller in the style of Cat People, but when Luton screened The Curse of the Cat People for them, they were extremely disappointed. And in response, they demanded several retakes and additional scenes. I was saying to you, uh, you earlier, Paolo, do, do you know any of, there's two references to cats in this film. And uh, did, did you pick up on either of them? I did not. I did not. It's, it was fairly catless, this film to me. Fairly catless. Yeah, that, that is an understatement. But are there any animals in this film? I don't know if there are. There, well, I'm just about to tell you. There's ah. in where two boys chase a black cat up a tree. And there's also a, I remember this near the beginning. Yes. yes. And there's also a portrait, in, uh, a painting in, in the house, which is a painting by Goya. Okay, nice. And it, it's, a, a, it's a painting of a man called Manuel Osorio Monique. But in that painting, there's also a cat. <laughs> That's hung in the family wall. <laughs> uh, the, the husband. So there's the only family. one real cat in it then? Yeah, describes... Uh, the painting as Irina's favourite piece of art. Luton supposedly pleaded with the studios to change the title to the more appropriately named Amy and Her Friend, but they refused as they wanted to cash in on the success of the first film. Also, Amy and the Friend it was it's a terrible title for a film. Thank God they didn't change it. But yeah, the RKO publicity department continued to promote the film as a creature feature. And among the more inane suggestions to fear owners were... They asked for stencil poor prints leading to your theatre. And they said, send out small group of men and women wearing cat masks to walk through the streets with cards on their backs reading, Are Cats People? <laughs> he was trying to bamboozle. <laughs> what a, what everyone. a fantastic ploy. That's so, yeah. that's so sneaky. 
Yeah, so as expected, uh, The Curse of the Cat People didn't click with audiences who were expecting a typical horror film, but mo- many renowned critics were really impressed with this film and felt it was Luton's finest achievement. It Perhaps more telling is the fact that this film is often shown to psychology students at universities. Luton was even uh, invited to a, a class screening of it in UCLA. A professor has praised Luton use of Amy's tight-lipped half-smile, observing that in his treatment with children with similar emotional problems, uh, the same reticent smile appeared again and again. But Luton supposedly didn't take credit for this because uh, the little Ann Carter, who plays uh, Amy, explained lost one of her front tooth during shooting. (laughs) There's not enough time or money to have the tooth replaced, so she was just instructed to act with her mouth shut for the rest of the film. Wow, that's harsh. That's 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 some harsh shit right there. But it turned out well. Um, it did. It did. Th- this is a rare departure from the ordinary run of horror films, but it is oddly touching. Uh, an oddly touching study of the wor- working of a sensitive child's mind. I I really like this movie. You might be ma might for some people. Some people might find it boring. Some people would just think this is just not a horror film. But it's I. It's still a great movie. The fact that the person who made this movie also went on to make The Sound of Music and West Side Story. It says it all. It says it all. Uh, but it's still great. It, um, I think people would still enjoy this film. Um, there are still horror elements of it. Like I was saying, when she goes to the old lady's house and she's she was an old actress, a uh, stage actress, so... At one point, she uh, does a one-man play of Sleepy Hollow, and it's it's really good. And then w- when the child's run away from her house, she's walked past the bridge of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, they do great sound effects of like horses' hooves, like marching up and down. Um, so there are still uh, horror elements in this, and there's still the fantasy elements of Irina now being a ghost. Um, but yeah, this is still a very enjoyable movie and I don't think gets spoken enough now. People might forget it, uh, but I'd highly recommend the original and, and this movie. Because um, I, 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 I would still consider this film a, a classic film. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's not your ordinary horror film, but this is still a really well-made, beautiful film. Quite touching as well. Very touching. I actually almost swelled up at one point. I actually almost did swell up at one point watching it. Um, it's not what I expected at all, which is a which is really good because I, I watched both films back to back, the first one and uh, Curse of the Cat People, and both of them together are still under like two hours and twenty minutes. So I'd recommend them as a double bill. It, what it reminded me of the most was um, the Daphne du Maurier book Rebecca, where okay, in Rebecca there isn't a ghost, but it's the idea of a, of a memory, you know, that spectral sort of memory that looms over everything. I, I thought it was really touching, really classy, funny. The old lady's quite funny. She's very sort of sharp and, and, and kind of bitter. Mm. Um, yeah, really took me by surprise. Very touching movie. But I, I think it's almost this, it's horror the same way that Onibaba, I think, is horror. More so the, the mm. first one, but the second one as well, you know, that it's, it's about something more than horror. And then there are these, you know, horror elements sprinkled in. Again, much like a Daphne du Maurier book. 
Yeah. Well, great cast. Um, incidentally, he's a terrible father. When the daughter's telling uh, the dad that she can see a ghost in the garden, he's like, if you say that again, you're going to get punished. And then he takes her upstairs and like gives her a lash. He's like, you're just terrible, terrible parents in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very of the time. The teacher was round the house as well, and she was telling the mother, oh, well, it's it's time for every child to get a spanking every yes. it's like growing up. Yeah, so it did feel very off the time. But it, it, it's a double-edged sword also, because... Yeah, sorry, go on. Oh, I was going to say, it's a double-edged sword because while you have these sort of weird practices that wouldn't slide, it still feels very classy. All of these films, mm, all of these horror films particularly. Very, very classy. Yeah, I agree. It's a very short movie. I think what, it's only 70 minutes, is it? If that is three minutes shorter than Cat People. Yeah. Like, like you said, double bill... Do it, do it, what? Because the returning characters, there's one returning character who's only really in one or two scenes in the first film, and she has a, a bigger role in this one. Doesn't really connect over, but then again, that a little bit like Onibaba, there is still like a, a mystery, a hinted, you know, what's going to happen, what's going to materialise. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, there is a mystery, because you, you do wonder where the film's going, uh, where the film's taking you, uh... So yeah, definitely. I I was the whole film. I was like, "Where's this going? Where's what, what's happening? What's going to be the the danger? Is Irina the danger? Is the old lady the danger? You're not quite sure." Yes. But, yeah. Highly recommend this film. And uh, yeah, it's only seventy minutes on BBC iPlayer. Give it a watch. Do it. Do it. You won't regret it. Though you'll be hopefully pleasantly surprised. What would I give this film? I'd give this film an 8 out of 10. 8, fair. I'm going to go with 7. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with 7. I'm going to go with 7. Because um, I, I... Expectations sometimes kill a movie. And while yeah. I was won over by it, I feel if I go into it watching it again, I might appreciate it for what it is. Mm. But like I said, very technically brilliant movie. I do not know what price I shall have to pay for breaking what we alchemists call Silentium. The life experiences of our colleagues should warn us not to upset laymen by imposing our knowledge upon them. The book! There are mysterious parts in that book. But the only true mystery is that our very lives are governed by dead people. In the beginning, there were three mothers, the same as there were three fates and three furies. always mistakenly call them by one terrifying name. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to be left alone. 
sister? Where is my sister? being watched and at times I think I actually feel a presence as if someone were in the room with me who lives in this damned house someone who is waiting but who you are being watched And that was the trailer to Dario Argento's 1980 movie, Inferno. Inferno is an Italian-American production. Uh, it's a supernatural, it's a gothic supernatural horror movie that continues the story of the three mothers first set up in the first film, Suspiria. Rose, played by Irene Miracle, who's also in fan favourite and video nasty Night Train Murders and Midnight Express, sends a letter to her brother informing him that she believes something sinister is happening in her apartment. When Mark, her brother, played by Mil McCloskey, who was in Dallas and, wait, and later went on to be involved in occult-based artwork, which we'll get onto a little later, he arrives to the apartment and soon discovers that Rose has vanished, and upon meeting Alicia, played by Daria Nicolodi, Argento's wife at the time, she tells Mark that she feels a presence constantly watching her. The two begin to uncover the secret of the three mothers. Produced by 20th Century Fox, but shelved for five years and only given a short theatrical release in the USA, it was then <coughs> shelved as a video nasty, mainly due, I believe, to the footage of the cat eating a mouse and a lizard eating a real bug. A bit of trivia, it was the eighth highest grossing film in the 1980s in Italy, and still to this day is the 14th highest grossing film in Italy. Rewatching this film, I don't know about you, was a total pleasure. I'm going to try and be as objective as I can. And you want to give a quick shout to where to watch it? It's on Shudder. Uh, it's uh, is it on Shudder? It's on Shudder. Okay, it's on Shudder, and it's Arrow have a great... I mean, Arrow DVD company I love, and they have a really cool 30th edition anniversary, which I would highly recommend as well. Mm. There's some cool extra features in there for you geeks out there. Um, but this film is comp my happy place. I absolutely love this film. Um, so the film is a thematic and, in sense, a spiritual sequel to Suspiria and continues the mythology of the Three Mothers. I mean, the, the, the mythology in this film is so well laid out, and it feels very much like an Edgar Allan Poe or a Lovecraft story. Uh, the book in the film is called The Three Mothers, and it feels like the Necronomicon. Uh, it's a book about curse building. The book seems to bring bad luck to everyone who encounters it. Uh, but the book basically details about how to find the witches and their house. Uh, it's written by an alchemist called Varelli, who created the House for the Three Mothers. If this is feeling somewhat literary, you'd be right, as Argento took inspiration from Thomas de Quincey, who wrote a short book called Confessions of an Opium Eater, and he writes about these three mothers, uh, Maya, uh, Mater Suspiriorum, Mater Lacrimarum, and in Inferno, Mater Tenebrarum, 
who are a group of mythical witches, much like there are something like Three Furies or Three Fates. You know, these guys are, are sort of like mystical gods almost. It's very cryptic in its themes, especially how to find the Three Mothers. And it's carried really fantastically with cryptic imagery all the way through the film, with the architecture and also this, well, this esoteric-looking uh, imagery on the jewellery. The attention to detail to the occult imagery is really striking. Snakes forming infinity signs on the wall, chemical symbols, as well as film involved. There's a lot of cats in this movie, which we'll get onto in a bit. Lizards and bugs, all very important in a cult. There's movie. more cats in this movie than in The Curse of the Cat People. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> We're compensating. We're compensating for the lack of cats mm. in that film. Uh, and to prove that I'm really not going mad and reading way too much into this whole occult imagery, Argento said he wanted to create mysteries and have symbols on the wall which have a deeper meaning which help push the story on while not in a technically narrative driven sense because as you were saying the plot to this is paper thin though if you were going to look at it in more the way this film was designed which is intended as a dreamlike psychedelic nightmare the, the, the film the way the narrative narrative clues are shown are very visual very european art house Inferno also contains elemental imagery such as fire, water, again, all important things to alchemists. And from a, uh, a website called uh, GG Occult, this, I thought this quote actually sums it up. In a way, our spirit is the occult, a part of us that is hidden from you. All these symbols and archetypes, and we recognize them as part of the fabric of our own mind and the basis of language. So the occult can also be seen as the language of archetypes. It really has a twisted take on mother and the archetype of the mother figure. Where, spoilers, <laughs> Mata Tenebrarum is posing as a nurse, and she cares about her patient in a very suffocating way, very masochistic element. Again, hinting that gothic horror history this film has. Considering that Inferno is a spiritual sequel to Suspiria, the film has a lot of references. I don't know if you noticed, but it's the same cab driver in the scene where <laughs> one of the main heroines is in the car. Uh, the character that Dario Nicolodi played is very much similar to the uh, male ballet dancer in Suspiria. Alda Valley is playing the same, but very different character. Even the way some of the characters who have physical appendages, so there's a guy on crutches in this who gets taken out by animals. Uh, the palette for this film is much, much bigger than Inferno. It feels a lot more grandiose, it's a lot more gothic, it, it has this existential dread and that is very much invoked from gothic horror and this overarching feeling of doom. The first act really sets up this film, and it really helps bring the world to life. The set designs are amazing, and it's just a real privilege and joy to watch. The cinematography, the architecture, the truly amazing colors, all hallmarks of this film and Argento's work. I don't really feel we can mention this film without really hammering home the visual aspect of this film. Every shot is art directed within an inch of its life. There are deep reds, deep blues all mixing together. The death sequences are basically done as art for violence. You know, you're, you're watching these people die in really horrible ways, but it's um, honestly among one of the most beautiful things you could find on video. And it's psychedelic, both visually and in regard to the dream logic of the film. The underwater sequences, characters walking down hallways just watching this cosmic sort of color palette just do things on the wall. It's, you're basically being shoved down into this tunnel vision of a fever dream nightmare. The film's narrative also takes on a psychedelic aspect where visual storytelling and visual motifs move the plot along. This whole image help, helps move along the film's narrative. And again, on a technical sense, Argento's way of framing 
things. And the quick cuts constantly create this frantic feeling of danger and uncomfortableness. These quick cutaways help detail small details around the film's frame and can help hint at dangers and multiple horrors to come. You can't quite relax while watching this film. You're sort of almost on edge. All these emotive images of knives, eyes, attention to people pricking their fingers on sharp objects. feels very ceremonial and fetishized. Against, again, coming into the occult aspect and one of the main, I guess, plots of the film. And again, much like Argento movies, the soundtrack by uh, Keith Emerson, who was in Emerson Lake and Palmer, if anyone cares, it's much like the film as a whole, it's a lot more mature, yet still very Argento and over-the-top and theatrical. Instead of this sort of weird prog rock punk-esque soundtrack, it's uh, a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more orchestral. As a, uh, it really does feel like a gothic opera. It's classy and over the top. So as you picked up on, the narrative is where I think a lot of people will turn off. The film does have an internal logic. And it's one of these Italian horror films that are made specifically with a dreamlike internal narrative. And much like the characters in the film, you're sort of discovering things as you're going along through visual cues, through not quite, a, well, occult symbols, really. Uh, and a quote from IMDb, uh, this is from Argento, to keep the fairy tale approach set by Suspiria, Dario came up with the idea of using the Grimm's fairy tale Hansel and Gretel basis for the story plot. Lee, the brother, and Irene, the sister, as Hansel and Gretel. But instead of set in a pancake house, it was the set for a demonic labyrinth, thus leading the main characters to act like children. The acting in this film is purposely done, as it's sort of muted. I mean, it's almost silent, this film. The characters sort of whisper and act like children. And this is given. Lee McCloskey is a terrible actor in this film. But it works. Everyone is a little off-kilter. Everything isn't quite as it seems. And I think all of these elements come into making just a really hypnotic, intoxicating movie. Is there anything you wanted to say on that? Uh, I really, I do enjoy this movie. Uh, I think it's a great sequel to Suspiria. Um, I found the whole Mother's Trilogy very interesting. Just um, the story that, that that's also based on. Um, very cool. Um, it's stylistically very similar to Suspiria. Um, the art direction very similar um the colors of psychedelia so if you love suspiria you're going to love this film the this the plot is it, it's more easy to grasp in suspiria this one is a lot harder you, you're going to need to concentrate throughout the whole film mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You concentrate to, to follow the plot um but it's beautiful the deaths are just as good as suspiria really there's some really beautiful deaths yeah i would say the kills in this are up there in argento's killography <laughs> you know? yeah really good artistic um kills in this film um yeah the the, the creepy amount of the the weird hand and long nails uh the, the death where she comes through the the you think it's a wall and it's like a material of clothing I thought that was a, an amazing shot it's insane it's it's the one where the window's going up and down on 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 the neck and all you're just seeing is blood splatter on the window um I think I I really enjoy this film uh, the, the, the 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 one of my favorite bits is she goes into a bookstore uh and uh in the book that she was looking for, it mentions something about a cellar, and she leaves the bookstore, remembers this line in her head, and literally by the bookstore is the cellar from the book. She was just, <laughs> it's so funny, so coincidental. Um, 
there are a lot of coincidences in it, and this is why I feel some people may turn off from this film. But it, I, I feel it's, it's, it's in this in this film at least. I think it's intentional. The mm. everything within this frame is sort of under this witch's spell in a, in a sense. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, dreamlike like that in a way, or like a witch's spell. Yeah, I get what you mean. Hundred uh, percent. And, I also and love in the beginning. You, you can't tell who's the you, you don't know who the antagonist is. Um, you don't know who the main characters are because it, it keeps changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. The, the women in this are great. Like I said, I didn't rate the the lead male. He's so, terrible. He's so awful in this film. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, but the women are great. The women are great. And and how would you rate this film? Oh, like an eight and a half. Yeah. I, and maybe a nine. Like the film, to me, it felt like 15 minutes. It just flies. I love this film. I'd give it at least eight and a half as well. Yeah. Okay, nice. We agreed. Good sense. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There used to be this camp about 60 miles from here. Camp Arawak. All these kids started getting killed. Well, it ended up that the killer was the shy 14-year-old girl that everybody picked on. Except she wasn't... Baby, you're supposed to be in the cabin. Let's go. Wait, what happened to the killer? Whatever happened to the good kids in the world? Oh, (laughs) don't talk like that, Uncle John. There's lots of good kids. We just have to weed out the bad. Remember, ladies, nice girls don't have to show it off. (laughs) Where's Phoebe? I had to send her home. I found her doing things with the boys last night that she had no business doing. I know the rest of you are nice young ladies and you won't get into any trouble. Let this be a lesson to you. Say no to drugs. Camp Rolling Hills is the best. Oh, I love the sun. I love the trees and forests. I don't like being the wicked witch of the West. Hey, but I know what happens when things get out of control. You're gonna tell. And so that was the trailer for Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers. Released in 1988, uh, directed by Michael A. Simpson, who would also direct the next film, uh, Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland, uh, who didn't have much experience in horror films, directed a few uh, independent comedy films like Fast Food and Funland. It, it has two very famous cast members, not that famous for acting, but they're from famous families. Uh, the, the the lead in this film is Pamela Springsteen. And supposedly people on the film didn't, most of cast and crew didn't realise that she was Bruce Springsteen's sister until years later. Renee Estevez, who I don't know if you know, brother of sister of charlie sheen and emilio estevez so emilio and renee kept the family name martin and charlie changed the sheen 
she had a minor role in Heathers. Um, but yeah, she's also in this film as well. The plot of this film uh, is follows Angela from the first. This is now supposedly reformed and living under a different surname. Is working at a new a summer camp, new summer camp. Uh, however, when the campers start misbehaving, she reverts back to her old ways. Uh, quick uh, shout out to where to watch this film. Um, couldn't find any streaming services that are showing this film, but the original Sleepaway Camp, which I highly recommend, one of the great amazing movies to any film, uh, such a strong slasher film. Uh, and the second film are both available to watch on YouTube. Yes, yes, they are. They are available on Twitter. So does that mean they're both in the public domain or is it just a matter of time before they get shut down? I have no idea, you know. Um, so watch it as soon as you can, maybe. Yes, yes, yes. So in 1986, uh, Robert Hizik, who wrote and directed the first film, he had wrote a script and gave it to his partner, Jerry Silver, who produced the first film. But Jerry wasn't a fan as he thought it was too dark and he wanted to take the film in a more comedic direction. So he bought the rights to part two and part three from Robert to, to pursue this. And he hired Michael Simpson and Fritz Gordon to make both films. So part two and part three, this all shot on the same location in Waco, Georgia. It used to be an old YMCA summer camp now a bat but was abandoned at the time i think it's now private property now but both filmed on location and filmed back to back in six weeks supposedly uh the first film finished and then there was a weekend between the wrap of part two and the beginning of part three um also fun little trivia the the model used to portray angela on the original poster uh you were saying this uh, for Sleepaway Camp 2 yeah it's yes, not yes. it's not Pamela she was unavailable to shoot for the day so it's a different actress called Connie Craig interesting bit of trivia for you uh, a documentary on the making of both these films is also available on YouTube titled Sleepaway Camp A Tale of Two Sequels and it, it just goes into the making of both these films and it seemed really really fun really cool independent film that they all seem to have a really good time like when they weren't filming, just having a laugh, drinking, playing music, just summer camp vacation. Also, where we just happened to shoot two independent horror films. So this film is made in 1988. If you don't know, in the 80s, the late 80s, the slasher genre was dying out. It was just a bunch of sequels at this point from the big franchises, like Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. And... Uh, yeah, the it was it didn't have the same box office appeal that it once did. Um, critics were really getting on its back, and the slasher craze was slowly, slowly, slowly dying out. Really, wouldn't really be regenerated till like Scream comes out again. But even in the nineties, it wasn't as popular as it once was in the early eighties and late seventies. So. Michael Simpson and Fritz Gordon, who'd been hired for these films, were both very interested in making a different slasher film that messed with the predictable formula of the played out genre. And this is the direction that producer Jerry Silver wanted to go in. Sleepaway Camp 2 has elements, uh, it is quite a very funny film. It is a comedy, 
Part three is more dark and the comedy's more black. Okay, cool. Okay, nice. But uh, both films reference various horror franchises, such as Friday's 13th, which is said Nightmare on Elm Street and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Both films, again, like, like uh, almost like the cat people, are very short, but both films are t- about 80 minutes. Uh, yeah, 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 something like that. When part two was finished and it was two minutes short, supposedly it was only 78 minutes when they were coming to end and apparently they were contractually obligated to make an 80 minute film, otherwise it wouldn't be considered a feature. So they even wrote up in the last minute uh, an eerie dream sequence, which they slowed down, added the happy campers song, which is in all the films. I'm a happy, happy camper, you know. Honestly, probably, they probably play that song in probably like Guantanamo Bay over and over. <laughs> well, in that scene where she's playing the guitar and they're singing it, there's no guitar in the sound. I was, I've watched that <laughs> scene back a few times. She's just sitting there just, considering she's the sister of Bruce Springsteen, there is no guitar playing in this film. <laughs> yeah. Even though none. she has one. But yeah, so that, that, that filled up a, a two minutes that they needed to do. Another fun fact about this film, all the characters are named after the, the Brat Pack. From the 80s from the all of the john hughes films in the, so there's a ca- <laughs> so character called molly from molly about molly wingworld there's a character called sean for sean penn uncle john is the head guy at the camp john hughes there's tc for tom cruise there's a demi for demi moore there's a rob rob Lowe. judd for judd nelson a charlie for charlie there's literally all of them every single one of them um but yeah, this film is is really funny and it wouldn't have been as good if Pamela uh, Springs, Springsteen um, didn't play Angela because she gives a really, really great performance because in one, she does gives it a really comedic twist, but at the same time, you think this lady is an absolute psychopath. She's, she's a Karen. She's basically a Karen in the 80s. An extreme version of a Karen Moore. Like, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. I hope so, at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, this film is really, really fun. Uh, the first film also, like I already said, you have to watch. But this is really funny. Really, really funny. Almost screamed, Scream Before Scream. Really plays with the slasher genre. And some really great kills. For a slasher, you have 18, I think. 18 on-screen deaths. And I think it's nine boys and nine girls that die, so it plays fair too. Yeah, it does. Um, but really, really creative kills. Uh, the makeup artist uh, and does a really good, the, yeah, the FX guy does a really good job in this. But yeah, overall, just a really, really funny tongue-in-cheek movie from start to end. You were saying earlier about the ending. The ending's really great as well. Not that much of a fan of part three, but part two... Um, is it's just a thrill throughout the whole film. What did you think of it? I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was a big, greasy burger of a film, and I enjoyed every, <laughs> every minute of it. It's it's so goofy, you know. Even the opening soundtrack, you know, it's like this eighties metal track. Um, it's so funny. It's so much fun. Um, great kills. A couple of people in it die who I didn't expect. More at the end. Just very funny characters, very likable characters. Quite good acting for a, a, a sequel to still kind of an un or more of a cult slasher film. The, she is just such a Karen. And I'm sure she was, I mean, maybe not at the time because the term wasn't really invented then. But she loved the film. And it doesn't, it didn't take me out of it. But she's just really annoying in this film. And I feel that's kind of the point. It never took like, me out of the film. Mm, like in the first film, 
people get their comeuppance. Like, yes. the people that die in the first film almost deserved it. Well, no. I hear what you. I hear. I know. Yeah. What you mean. The second film, any minor, minor thing. That's it. Game over. Strict, game strict over. in this film. Literally, don't <laughs> piss her off in any way, shape, or form. Because she will get you. In the, she will get you. Some really crazy kills. You were talking about the referencing to other horror films. That great kill where there's a kid with a Freddy Krueger glove and Freddy Krueger type makeup. A Jason S guy, and then she comes out of nowhere as dressed as Leatherface and kills them both. Yeah, with a chainsaw. Yeah, it's a great kill. Yeah, it's on YouTube, guys. Um, and it's only 80 minutes. Watch the first one, then watch this one. You're going to have a blast. It, it felt like the, the actors in it were having just a fun time shooting this film as well. It looked like a really fun film to be a part of. Yeah, really great, really great film. What would you give it? What would I give it? Hmm, maybe like a, a 7.5. I'd give the original like a 9. I think the original is so good, but this is, is still great and really funny. Agreed. I'd probably actually say the South say 7 or 7.5. Um, while it's not as shocking as, as th the first one, the plot twist, it's very much, it's almost quite meta. And I think it earns a lot of points for that. Yo. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey. It is game night. Ow, ow. Hey, you ready for this? I got a new laptop. Actually new. There's a cyber cafe that I've been working at, and this computer was sitting in the lost and found for the last three or four weeks. Hang on, you stole someone's computer? I didn't steal it. Oh, yeah, okay. That's messed up. And I found this folder. It was hidden. And it automatically connects you to this thing. Dude, this is dark web. What's dark web? Part of the internet where no one can track you. It's all about drugs, illegal IDs, even assassination for hire. Hey, yeah, the dark net is mostly about the bad guys. And this computer's got videos on it, right? Check this out. I really think you should stop. Oh, God. Who's that? What's happening? Wait, guys, hold up. Where's Lex? Wait, that looks like that's Lex's building. No, you guys. No, 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 no. Is that Lex? ones who buy the videos, the ones who pick the girls. What the hell? They've all been watching. Oh my god. That was the trailer for Unfriended 2 Dark Web, an American desktop horror film. It's the sequel in name and style only to Unfriended. 
It follows a group of teenagers who have a Skype meetup, only discover that one of the laptops has connections to the sinister dark web, and they are being watched by a secret society. Produced by horror heavyweights Blumhouse, it is a directorial debut from Steven Susko, who has written, among other things, the screenplay to Red, the comic book action film, and wrote the story to Texas Chainsaw 3D and Hellfest. Uh, what film? So, what year was this released? Uh, 2018. So, f- a couple of years after the first Dark World. So, really, the first thing about this film is how realistic it feels. Not in just regards to what the characters do, even though some of their decisions are pretty dumb, but it's still realistic. You know, it's understandable that they would make these human mistakes in a situation like this. It's just a bunch of normal 20 something year olds who just have started an accidental descent down into the digital rabbit hole. But there is also a palpable sense of real danger in regards to the scenario and the events that the film eventually uh, unfolds into. This help feeds into the notion that they are completely out of their depth and are doomed really from the beginning. Again, quite a nihilistic movie, which I absolutely love. Real world horror and consequences, especially now really, considering that everyone uses Skype and considering coronavirus, I think this film actually, because of this whole pandemic, has another layer to this film. Mm. And it really shows how easy it is to track someone down just by a simple thing on a Facebook picture and really how vulnerable, no matter how old you are. Uh, again, much like Sleepaway Camp 2, quite realistic and likeable characters. There are even a shout out to vegans, which really brings this film and makes it feel current. Uh, well fleshed out characters. You know, there, there's a lot of characterization within the first 45 minutes where it's mainly character set up. You know, you find out that characters don't get on with family members. Other characters have had previous relationships and the effect it's had. And it all brings it back into the film. And much like a Stephen King novel, the fact that there is still this lurking danger that you are aware of that's creeping up. The first 45 minutes is characterization, which makes the last 40 minutes quite harrowing. And again, brings into frame how vulnerable everybody is. Um, You know, you have this sort of um, techie guy who's arguably a little bit like Alex Jones. You know, he's telling everyone that, you know, the world's going to be taken over, you know, that we are the commodity. Actually, really nice to see um, some gay characters in this who just happen to be gay in this film. And it's just a really nice breath of fresh air. And it really does make for when the killings start, there is an emotional punch. And incidentally, the kills are creative. And there is a sort of moral dilemma with one of them near the end where it brings into the sick mother and the girlfriend of one of the characters that she has to pick. Again, the canvas is quite big on this film, despite the fact that it all takes place on one screen. It does feel that there is a bigger story going on uh, with news clippings, with people looking on the news sites for... uh, missing people, which brings into what I think is arguably one of the most disturbing parts of the film, is the whole snuff movie, dark web themes, which are terrifying. I don't know about you, but you know, you read about these sort of things. You know, you have red rooms, you have people, you know, you people hear stories all the time on um, the dark web about people just being bought and murdered in awful ways, which, of course, instantly reminds me of Hostel Part 2, but I feel this f- film is done these themes are done much better and a lot less in-your-face and sort of exploitative. But yes, they very much hit home, some of the videos that... So when the character starts looking through the laptop, he finds all these files of uh, actually cots with babies being filmed in, women in tubs, uh, people's houses being broken into in the dead of night. It really does feel like the danger is everywhere and really no one is safe. Actually, very few plot holes in this film, despite the fact the film does get quite wild by the end of it. You're never sitting there going, hang about, that wouldn't happen. It's all set up in the first act, which makes when the horror happens, it's just really punchy. I think it's a really well-written, well-thought-out film. 
Uh, and considering that it's what? 2020, these sort of films, these sort of films are starting to create a whole new genre with a desktop horror. This is a quote from uh, a film critic called, I'm going to botch the name, Tumar Berkamovatov. And he calls these films desktop horrors, where a computer screen film should take place on one specific screen, never move outside of the screen. The character should resemble the behavior of the device, on the camera of the device, and all action should take place in real time without any visible. Try, uh, without any vis invisible cuts <laughs> and sound should or originate from the computer. This film's really well made, but there are parts of it that kind of feel like a Brian De Palma film. We have split screens with multiple things going on all at once, yet still keeps into this trope of uh, desktop horror. I don't really want to spoil the end, but the last 10 minutes, there's a lot of rug pulling from under the audience's feet, which again does make the pit of your stomach drop because you realise just how out of depth these characters are. And again, really wonderful to see mainstream horror films being nihilistic and not being afraid to go certain places. Also, the main character is fit as fuck. I'm not going to lie. It's unfortunate he has quite a terrible iTunes playlist. There are like two good songs in his iTunes playlist. Mm, yeah. Um, no, I was saying I agree. He's cute. And very he, cute. He did have a terrible iTunes playlist. <laughs> <laughs> or was it Spotify? I think it was Spotify. Oh, Spotify. Sorry, Spotify. Yes, Spotify. Yeah. Spotify. Um, it's just a great, well-written, enclosed, self-contained horror that kind of evolved into a mystery. And the sort of the last ten minutes, I think I'm not going to spoil it because I, I think there, there, it's a great little twist, and it doesn't talk itself out into silliness. It all feels contained, and plots just meet up. Everything is just so well con uh, contained in this film, and you know it is like a, a techno horror paranoia. Arguably, I think this is what the last few seasons of Black Mirror have been trying to want to invoke. I'm going to go out there and say that. Mm. Great fun. movie. And had no right to be. I didn't really like the first Unfriended. I thought it was a bit naff. And I thought this was just amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I really do agree. The first one's not great at all. And uh, this first, oh, oh, where to watch this film, it's on Netflix. So if you have a Netflix account. Yes, it is on Netflix. Yes, it is on Netflix. Um, I watched this film on my own first and I remember watching it at night and being, did I finish it? I can't remember if I finished it, but I just remember it being really jumpy. Maybe, no, I think I got to halfway through and I thought this is really good, quite scary to watch my own. And also, I want to watch it with you. So I stopped watching it and the next day I was like, okay, we've got to watch this film. I've watched halfway through. Let's watch Yes. This. Yeah. First time I watched it was with you. And... Actually, I was quite rattled by it. And even when I watched it again last night, I was still quite rattled by the end of it. It's also one of those films you can watch on your laptop. You don't need it on a TV screen. It helps watching it on your laptop. Also, kind of like you think, is it realistic? Like, don't know much about the dark web. There's, I mean, there's dark web for selling drugs and stuff like that. And there's pedophilia, but there's also a lane for snuff. Mm. Want to see snuff? And... It's a really gross part of the internet that I'm sure exists. It's uh, horrible. It's horrifying. It, it, it is it, horrifying. It, it really cuts deep. There's something very, like, inhuman, undignified, and, and very cold mm. about it. It's, also, yeah, really unnerving. Uh, cool references to uh, Greek mythology. Oh, my God, yes. Charon. Yes, Charon. Who, who's uh, supposedly the... Uh, well, he was the... The, the ferryman. <laughs> The ferryman, the, uh, yes. Uh, of Hades, who carries the souls uh, across the river. Yes. 
And also shout out to a King Diamond song called um, I forgot what it's called now, but we'll get onto that. Uh, there's also three endings of this film. There's alternative endings to this film. Um, yes, they're all fine, but I think this ending is much better. And funnily enough, yeah, when the film yeah. first I'm glad came they went out, with this one, they had uh, they had sent letters to cinemas saying that they're going to release the film with the two different endings. I think they narrowed it down to two, and they were just going to play both versions just randomly. Um, uh, so I'm not really sure what the audience reaction was to either of these two, but I feel the ending that we have at the moment is the better ending. I feel, you know, the film's so well written, some of the other endings felt a little bit too far-fetched. Mm, mm, yeah. Uh, but yeah, great film. Had really no right to be. No right to be. Oh, no. King Diamond song is called Charon, funnily enough. Well, there you go. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God! Who are you? King Diamond. There you are. All, of, all about that myth. So that was a cool little 80s metal shout out. But yeah, great acting, great chemistry, really well done. Honestly, had no right to be that good. Um, simple meat and potato horror done well with a modern twist. Yeah, I agree. Another moment of consensus. This is a good episode. How would you, how would you rate it? A seven. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going to say seven and a half, eight. Because yeah. I agree. But it still is effective. Yeah, I agree. It is, it is jumpy for a modern horror film. It is jumpy. It's got mm. good jump scares. It's smart. You don't think, oh, this is really dumb. They should have done something else. They, they do everything that you're like, this is what you should do. They do it. They go with the audience instincts. And it's like, yeah. So smart film. Great film. So if you join us next week, uh, there will be some special changes coming to the format of the next episode. Um, I think you're going to enjoy it. You think you're going to like it. Um, you're going to warm to it. It's going to be exciting. And considering it's, it's our exciting. third episode, it works quite nicely. Yeah. The third episode is going to be about witchcraft. Witch. Witch, 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 witch. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh one of the best subgenres in horror. Absolutely. Very rich. Very rich. Very rich. There's so much to to talk about. And uh, there's a lot of movies I'm, I'm going to watch for this week. Because I'm not sure which film I'll, I want to talk about. Because there's so many. There's, so many there's a lot movies. of good ones. There's a lot of good ones. And oh, one of, well, I think among our favourite movies is one of them. But I think it's too well known to talk about. Yeah, Paolo, his favourite horror film is Suspiria. That's one of my favourites as well. Another, my favourite horror film, Rosemary's Baby. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? He has his father's eyes. We probably might talk about these films at a later date, but... Oh, 100%. 100%. We will, but not next week. We're going to talk about films that you might not have heard of. And we might not have heard of. At this that moment we time. might not have this <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Exactly, that's exactly it. Uh, so yeah, join us next week. Yeah, be there or be square. Cool. Well, once as always, thank you so much, people, for listening. Follow us on on Twitter at Ushers of Horror and on Instagram at Ushers underscore of underscore horror. Wonderful. Look forward to talking to you next time, people. Peace and love.